Today is August 17, 1994, and I'm interviewing Gabrielle Wilson. This is our third visit, I believe, and I just um, came away with uh, three more dolls that she makes. I don't think we've gone into that, Gabrielle, that you <laughs> no. make dolls, and I have one sitting on my bed, and I just bought three more and um, for other people. Uh, the last time we were together, you told me that your husband gave you the book, The Delaney Sisters, mm -hmm. and that you identified with it. And mm -hmm. I would like you to talk about that a little bit. Um, we just glanced at that subject, so I was wondering what emotions it might have uncovered that you identified with. God, I don't, now I don't know where we were. Well, it doesn't matter where we were, we'll pick up where we are. Okay. Just, just. Um, it's been a while since I read the book, so now I'm trying to remember everything that was involved. Um, well, maybe the fairness of skin had something to do with it? I'm drawing a total blank. Okay. We'll just go on to something else then. Um, let's, let's talk about... Go ahead. What are you going to say? doesn't mean I'll shut up. It's just mean right now I'm not, <laughs> my mind's not in okay. here. Let's um, let's let's do downtown, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I'm sort of going back and doing with other people. Um, uh, what do you? Um, you said you went with your grandmother. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go with your mother? I don't ever remember going shopping downtown with my mother. I'm sure I did, but I don't remember going. Or your father? Never. Okay, so your grandmother, and your grandmother being fair, you were able to do what? I went everywhere with her. Anywhere she went, I went with her. There was never a problem. Uh, and you remembered signs. Mm -hmm. Where did you remember signs, and what did they say? Major department stores and the dime store down on 6th Street. Do you remember which dime store that was? I want to say Woolworth simply because that's the first name that comes to mind, but it may well have been a Kresge's. I can't say for sure. Did you ever go to something a dime store called McCrory's? I think that was on Is that 6th and Washington? I think it is. Then that's the one I mean. That's the one I mean. What do you remember about McCrory's? I remember the signs in McCrory's. The lunch counter was in the back of the store right on St. Charles Street. It was 6th and St. Charles. And I remember the signs on one wall that said colored. The sign on a wall mm -hmm. near a... Near the entrance to the kitchen right by a cash register. And it, you could tell on the counter there was like a metal guard of some kind that differentiated like maybe six spaces only. So the rest of the counter, and the counter undulated. So like six stools on one side of one counter only. 
where you could sit. Where you could sit. I understand they had what they called a standing counter. Yeah, there. right along in there there was a standing counter too, but I don't remember that as well. I know people stood there and ate, but I, I couldn't specifically say when I remember that. So there was a sign that said? Colored. Colored. Mm -hmm. um, what year do you think this might have been? Well, for me to remember it and to be able to read it, I had to be at least five because I didn't ask questions. I knew what it meant. I read before I was five, but I think I would be at least five before it would have really clicked in. So I'm guessing 48 or nine, just guessing. You knew what it meant. Oh yeah. You asked me before, was this discussed? No, it was never discussed. But if you see the sign, it grabs you. You know immediately what it means. And you know you can't ask why. Had I asked, I would have been told, shh, I'll tell you later. That was the way those things were handled then. And I mean, any kind of thing that went on out in public that was out of the ordinary. Um, if you saw an accident, if you saw maybe someone who was crippled or disfigured, you wouldn't ask out loud. But if you did, it's, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. Mm -hmm. And with other things, did they tell you later? If you asked. But you would not have asked. Oh, this. no. How did you know you weren't supposed to ask? You just knew. Um, in that same McCrory's, were you ever aware that there was a freight elevator where people... You could hear it. No, this, this was one that they... they Somebody told me they cleaned out and, mm -hmm. and people sat in it. That was way in the back. You could hear it. I never saw it. And I've heard about it. And people ate in it. Mm -hmm. They had chairs. Mm -hmm. So where did you and Grandma sit? Well, we wouldn't have eaten in McCrory's anyhow. <laughs> I remember seeing it, but no. Why wouldn't you and Grandma eat any McCrory's? My, my grandmother went in the dime store to pick up a hairnet or whatever, but she would never <laughs> sit at a counter in a dime store. You didn't know my grandmother. <laughs> what is it? I know, I know what it means, and you know what it means, but tell me what it means. It just wasn't done. It just wasn't done. She she wouldn't. I mean, she'd have starved to death before she would have been at that counter in McGuire's. It was a status kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where did you and Grandma eat? Sticks. Sticks. Mm -hmm. At the counter. At the counter. Mm -hmm. And tell me about that. 
I remember going. Um, I, the funny thing is, when we went downtown, she never drove, and we never rode the bus. There were service cars. Has anyone ever explained service cars to you? Go ahead. Okay. There was a line of cars. Um, I guess they were old limos that people used that ran up Easton Avenue across Albert and down Enright all the way downtown and just made a complete circle. Much better transportation than by state could ever offer because they ran about every 15 minutes and they stopped at every corner. And when I was a little girl it cost 15 cents to ride. And we left my grandmother's house and walked a half a block down to her corner and we rode in the service car with everybody else who was black you could imagine. And we get down to sticks and we go inside sticks and we eat at the what lunch counter. <laughs> That's how you did things. You had the best of both. I guess you could put it that way, although I didn't think of it that way. It wasn't a big deal to do any of the things I did. I was with my grandma. I spent hours trying to figure out <laughs> how you think. <laughs> <laughs> she went everywhere and did everything she wanted to do. There was never a problem. I can't imagine anyone saying anything to her. She had a presence. Um, so you sat at the lunch counter mm -hmm. and, um, um, and didn't feel uncomfortable? No. Now, you weren't aware of anybody staring or anything like uh -huh. that? No. There was one time when we were talking and you were aware of somebody staring at you. And I, cause I said maybe it was they thought you were a cute little girl, and you said no. I don't remember telling you that. I can't imagine. Maybe it was another. Maybe it was somewhere else. I don't. Rem I don't think okay. I remember this. It, it um, sticks. No, not it sticks. But um, uh, let me. So you you sat there mm -hmm. with a sign. You said mm -hmm. that you had the, the sticks. Now would this have been the same years? Yes. I believe Sticks integrated that counter in around 54, 55. Maybe they did. Well, the sign would have come down. Yeah, the sign would have come down then. Uh, now, I remember going when she had to lift me up on the, on the stool because mm -hmm. I was too little to climb up on my own. All right, Gabrielle, the, when we did the last interview, you talked about that racism, prejudice, uh, was was still very much with us, mm -hmm. and you mentioned uh, I asked you where, and, and you said Frontenac Plaza, mm -hmm. and um, and I said I I I agree with you. I believe that. Um, you said many people wouldn't. Why do you think many people wouldn't? Because I think if you're not aware of it, because you've never had to be. You can't imagine that it happens. Um, 
people who belong to minorities understand. People who have been discriminated against because of their physical appearance would understand. But for someone maybe who has always come and gone whenever they wanted to, they went everywhere they wanted to go, have never even seen anyone turned away, you can't imagine that it happens, but it does. It dawned on me that um, we just talked about your going and doing as a mm -hmm. child, and you sort of knew, but you went ahead. Mm -hmm. um, but now, as an adult, when it's supposed to be better, mm -hmm. um, you notice it. You notice it. It's not as, as um, blatant, I guess, as you would imagine. And it's certainly not the first thing that comes to my mind when something maybe isn't quite right. But then there are other times, maybe when security is involved, you know exactly what the problem is. Um. I remember not too very long ago going into a shopping mall with a friend, a very dark-skinned friend. It was a ladies' dress shop, and we saw some dresses in the window in the mall. I was not dressed up to go shopping. We had gone out because there was a fabric store close by, and we were going to run in by thread or whatever it was and run out. And as we went into the mall, it was Town and Country Mall. This was several years ago before they redecorated. Um, we saw whatever this was in the window and said, let's go in and look at it. So we walked in and we're kind of looking around for the same item we saw in the window. And there were two little older sales ladies standing together, one obviously deaf, who thought she could whisper, <laughs> and said out loud to her friend in a stage whisper, And my friend and I heard it at the same time. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and we said, that did it. And we just turned around and walked out. Do you ever think of saying, why not? If I liked to argue with people, if it were really a matter of life and death, I guess, yes, I probably would have said something. But this wasn't important. And why get myself in a snit over something that's just not important? I've got a bunch of questions for downtown, but um, stop me when there's anything that we haven't talked about or that comes to mind, because I think that uh, um, your problems were, are not the same as, as most of the people that uh, I'm going to ask these questions of, eating. Out, a Chinese carryout. And there will be people standing there waiting for their orders. And they are mocking the speech patterns of the poor little man behind the counter. It just, I, let me go in on a bad day and I can tear the place apart. It really makes me angry. Now, do you say anything about yes. the Oriental restaurant that you're talking about? Oh, yeah. Do you say something to oh, a yeah. stranger? What do you say? Oh, yeah. I say, who the hell do you think you are? And usually it, it shuts them up. And they say, what do you mean? 
I said, what did that man do to you? And then they kind of brush it off. And I said, you're an idiot. Or my favorite word is, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. And it just drives my husband and my kids crazy. Shut up. With, I can't help it. I am more inclined to defend you than I am to defend myself. I can't stand to see somebody else mistreated for no reason, you know. Now, if the guy behind the counter is a jerk, and he just happens to be Oriental or Polish or whatever kind of place it is, and they're screaming at each other, hey, that doesn't bother me. But don't make fun of him because of who he is. When you were talking before that you said that, you know, you were hearing this about the dislike or hatred. Mm -hmm. and it, it's about, really hatred. About the Jews. Yeah. It's just awful. Where, where does... Um, it doesn't even have to be about Jewish people for someone to make a disparaging remark. Well, she's acting like a Jew. That kind of thing. And what does that mean? Um, cheap. Cheap. And everybody knows Jews are all cheap, right? Of course, they've taken over the country. That, that's the one I like the best. They've taken over the country. Well, it's... And they only look out for themselves. Well, where else would you start? If you were going to defend somebody or whatever, you start with your own family, your immediate circle, and it branches out from there. Well, I, I always think about the Israelis who took that airplane and went to Ethiopia mm -hmm. and took all the black yeah. Jews and took them back to Israel, and you never hear any oh, no. concerns. Maybe there are problems, but I don't I think we would have heard about them by now. Well, things like that, I would imagine they'd have to publicize. See what they tried to do for those savages and see what's happened now. <laughs> well, that, that does, you know, I, I was saying that too long ago that all this stuff in Rwanda and everything. Mm -hmm. Why didn't somebody get an airplane like the Israelis did? Go well, pick them up and where are you going to put them? Well, can't put them all in Israel. Yeah, They're, but they, they were talking on the news last night about the Cuban refugees and how many they. Some captain, somebody said they had picked up over 500 people yesterday. And so many different boats and rafts had passed them empty. And they said, I wonder how many were lost. Mm -hmm. And then you've got people saying, well, what the hell are they letting them come here for? Well, where did we come from, you know? We all came from somebody Somewhere. Um, uh, I wonder how much Farrakhan is igniting these fires, and what do you think of, um, what do you think of that, do you want to comment on, he's on, an idiot, on him, he's an idiot, on the, I hate everything he stands for, the little I know of him, and I'll be honest, I'm not a follower, I've yeah. not read a lot, but I don't like anything I've ever heard, I think he is someone set up to incite, what about the what's going on with the NAACP? Have you been following that? I have. With oh, well, respect to well, what? that it's changing and it's in some some people think it needs to change and bringing in different people and 
and then there, um, Chavez, I think, was... Yeah, that's the big name on the news now. Yeah, he used some money to pay off somebody, but in spite of that... Like it's never been done before? Yeah. I guess we can't solve every problem. No. But it is, I did want to put this back on because it's, it's interesting to, to hear um, what you were saying about these other... Remember we talked about Hilda once. Yeah, Levadon. I, I think of her and I just get filled up. Do you know that, well, what filled you up? Proof when I saw her, if there had ever been any doubt in my mind about man's inhumanity to man, I saw it then. Because Hilda Levadon is a Holocaust survivor. Mm -hmm. And you saw her first at Famous? No, at the shoe store. At the shoe store. Mm -hmm. I'd, al I'd always believed, I always said it was horrible, but here it was right in front of my face. And I, I you know, maybe the rest of us need that. With her tattoo. Mm-hmm. I guess until you've met somebody who's been through something horrible, I guess you do. It's just in the news. It happened somewhere else. It's not relevant, maybe. Like me in the civil rights. And me in the civil rights. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. It's all amazing. But I think what's not amazing is that we're sitting here and we're talking mm -hmm. and we made a new friend and we're interested and um, that seems to be the only way to go. They'd have a party because they had entertainers coming in. And I remember going to my grandmother's many times late at night because there were people there performing. There's only one group I can remember by name uh, because they came whenever they came in the city. They were called the Charioteers. And I remember my grandmother had a baby grand piano in the living room. And they brought all their instruments, and there may have been 30 people packed in the house. But they entertained for a couple of hours, late at night. I'll never forget that. That's something you don't no. hear about anymore. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. And that's something that if you do enough reading, you realize mm -hmm. just what you said. Yeah. And even the um, porters yeah. from town to town, mm -hmm. people would take them in boarding I'm certain that there must have been someone who called originally and said, hey, we've got somebody that needs somewhere to go. But of course, like I said, I was a little girl. I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. I just thought my grandma gave a lot of parties because there was always people around. That was fun. Oh, it was neat. The music was fantastic. Um, and then they let me sing with them. Oh, did they? Oh, yeah. And what did you say? Anything that was popular at the time, because I knew the word, and I wasn't shy. So, you know, you've got a five-piece band behind you, and there I am just singing my guts out. Gabrielle, did your brother and sister get to do the things that you got to do? Like, did your grandmother take them? Places? My brother and sister were three and four years younger than I am. And not really. I asked my sister, because of me talking to you, if she remembered certain things. And she said, where'd you get that? 
No, she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember the entertainers we were just talking about. But if I were like five, she may have only been two years old, yeah. so she wouldn't remember this. But when the time came, her grandma probably, did she take her places yeah. like that? I don't know that she ever went alone. Maybe it was that then the two of us went mm -hmm. with my grandmother. Um, I, I, we talked so much about your grandparents that I certainly was going to get into your other life today, which was without your grandparents, mm -hmm. just your regular life. And when I said that at the outset, you said that there wasn't a life without them. There wasn't. But we haven't talked about your your life uh, with your own family, with just mm -hmm. your family, and and you, the children that you did play with, you said were, well tell me about it. My mother's friend's children. Mm -hmm. Most of them were um, nurses. And you met other people through dancing school or piano lessons or whatever. Um, most people seem to keep in touch even after they left St. Louis and came back. All of them seem to have children just about the same age, so you knew everybody else's kids. But this was a, uh, a more of a segregated group of people? Mm -hmm. Then your mother's friends were black? When I was little, yes, but then as she worked more, my mother did private duty nursing, and as she worked more, let me put it this way, when my brother was born, he was ill. He had every illness known to man as a small child. He was in and out of the hospital a lot, so she didn't work a steady job then. And she did a lot of private duties, so as she made friends on the job, of course they came home with her, and if they had kids, yeah, they came around. When you got older and you began to go places by yourself, you know, or you went to the movies with, with friends, um, did you do that kind of thing? What kind of things did you do on your own? We went to the movies a lot. Um, we rode the bus downtown a lot then, mm -hmm. just to look. Um, and could you, what movies did you go to by yourself? Which theaters? The Fox. The Fox and the St. Louis. Fox more than anything. Well, was this in the 50s? Or yeah, in the 50s. So you had to find a friend that was as light as you were. I don't remember really going with friends until I was old enough to go by myself. And by that time, it wouldn't have made a difference. Well, then that was in the 60s? No, late 50s. 50s, mm -hmm. late 50s? Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go to the black movie theaters? Yes. Criterion or whatever? No, not that one. Okay, what, what did you go to? The Comet and the Douglas. They were just a few blocks away from my grandmother's house, and you could walk there. Um, four blocks away, maybe. And you saw the movies there. Um, my Aunt B took me several times. I remember going with her. Um, I don't remember going with friends, though. Children weren't allowed to just roam then. You yeah. went with an adult most of the time.
So going to to black movie theaters and so you knew that going to with your grandmother was entirely different. I don't think I even thought about I it. Didn't think about mm -hmm. it. I can't get this. <laughs> Somebody else listening to it might think, "My God, she's a liar." It didn't happen that way, but it did. No, I, it just I did. know it did. I I just keep coming in at a mm -hmm. different angle somehow. <laughs> um, um, I asked you what you thought when you sat at the sticks counter and the sign said "white only," and you knew you weren't. And I believe. Do you remember what you said to me over the phone? Probably I was with my grandma, period. Yeah. Well, I think you said that you didn't think about it. No, you don't. I mean, what can happen to you when you're with your grandmother? One last question. I'll never bring it up again. You didn't. You said you didn't see this, the segregation. You didn't see it, mm -hmm. but you, you knew it. You knew it. You mean when I was real little or? When did you know it? At some point, you're sitting there. I don't know. You don't know. You I don't know. I know you don't know because this is the second know. time or third time I've asked mm -hmm. you and you say the same thing. I just don't know. I need a piece, I need a band-aid to put over my mouth. <laughs> um, we, we tried to bring up uh, on that from that lost tape of Percy Green and I remember what we were discussing and the, what we were discussing was uh, his actions at the VP and, mm -hmm. and you you commented on your feelings about, oh, about dear, what some of those things. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay. If you can't bring it up again, that's okay. Uh, were you aware of the, anything going on in the civil rights? <laughs> Was I aware of yeah, stuff you, going on? Yeah. yeah, I was in the news, mm -hmm. uh, in the paper and on television. And you told me already. I knew it was going on, but it didn't have anything to do with me. You had your rights. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know you didn't have your rights. Right. You say it. You say it. You say it in your own words. It was for other people. Make it a sentence. All this stuff that was going on for civil rights were for people who had none. But I did. So, I mean, I thought it was great that other people were going to get to do whatever it was they wanted to do, but it had nothing to do with me. Because? Because I did whatever I wanted to anyhow. What do your children say to you about what you tell them that you did? Or you say, you told me in the first interview they think you're a fanatic. Oh, yeah. T talk about that. Um, because I did the things that I did when I was little, I don't 
I only remember one or two instances where things happened to me that really weren't important, but it made me know that these kind of things happen. And I was determined not to let it bother me. So when I went to school, I made friends with everybody. You know right away when someone doesn't want to be bothered. And you ignore that. And you move on to the next guy. And I tried to get... Okay. Because I do know so many different types of people. And I have encouraged their friendships with different people. I don't care who they are or where they come from. Um, I don't ask when they mention they've got a new friend, who is this, where did they come from, and what do they look like. I don't really care. Um, sometimes they may say things that you know who the person is before they come to the house, but it comes out in, in conversation. When my daughter Crystal, who is now 20, was about three, I had her in preschool, and she mentioned a new little girl that came to school, and she really liked her, and she was sweet, and I said, oh, what's her name? And she said, her name is Celeste, and she said, she likes me, Mom. We did this, and we did that, and I said, oh, that's nice. I said, which one was Celeste? And she said, the one that looks like me. So children do know, but it wasn't a big deal. So when I went to school the next day and I looked around, I knew who Celeste was right away. She wasn't the only black child there, but she did look like my daughter. Oh. Let's see. And we all draw these conclusions yeah. that it's going to be because she, mm -hmm. just because she was black. It wasn't, but no, they did look alike. Uh -huh. <sighs> That's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. um, So how how did, do they do they um, if you talk to them like you're talking to me? When something comes up, yes, but it may be in response to something on television or whatever. They know I'm talking to you now, and of course they're teasing me about this. Well, yeah, mom, when you're dead and buried, you know, maybe somebody else will be interested in this. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. From all the things that I have talked to you about, all the questions that I've asked you, not that you dwell on any of this, but you, you are telling me it's helped your genealogy, mm -hmm. you talk to your sister, your kids tease you. Um, have you, is there, are there things that maybe I haven't asked you uh, about that, that you think um, might be something you'd like to talk about? Or, um, no, the only thing that hit me was the thing about the entertainers. That came to me late yeah. one night, and I said, now that's important because that's something many people would never know about. Mm -hmm. um, then why don't you, um, you did you did say that there was early harassment. Uh, you No, we talked about harassment. You said 99% of the harassment came by blacks, and you gave me some situations that happened in your adult life. Mm -hmm. Was there anything, and you said you have to think about when you were younger, and I was wondering, where, I think it had to do with color. Mm -hmm. 
don't remember anything that happened. Um, in grade school, the grade school that I went to, or the one that I graduated from, was um, the cathedral, and of course it was integrated. I don't know if it was prior to me going there or not. Um, the Catholic schools then were limited to the area that you lived in. If you lived outside boundary lines, you could not go to that school. So unless you lived right there, you didn't attend that school anyhow. Well, in this particular case, there were very few black Catholics that lived in the middle of the city. So the school was integrated, but just by very few. Um, my first year there was third grade, and I don't remember anyone older than myself there, but there were one or two younger. So I don't know if they came in the same time I did or what. Mm -hmm. And the children, I, I, that principal would never have allowed Sister Elizabeth Joseph. They were um, St. Joseph nuns. Can you talk a little bit about the Catholic Church and, and the colored, the Negro at that time and how they were treated? I, at some point you said they had people had to sit in the back of the... Now that was St. Anne. That was the church that I went to mass with my grandparents. Uh -huh. I mean, we did everything with yeah. my grandparents. They sat in the back? Uh, we sat in the back simply because we sat in the back. I mean, I don't think it was a big deal. I'm talking maybe four or five pews from the back of the church. Because you wanted to. Because we to. wanted to. You didn't have to. You know, you didn't have to. And I know I told you that at one time, because the parish itself was dwindling, the priest tried to encourage people to sit up front. And we came in one Sunday and he had roped off the back of the church. That's the only incident within the church that I'm aware of where something happened like that. But you weren't, you didn't have to sit in the back. No. Well, how, how did, um, um, how has the Catholic Church treated that situation? Swept uh, under the rug, I'm certain. The blacks. I'm certain it's never discussed unless it's an all-black parish, basically. Um, the church that I attend now is around the corner from my house. It's St. Rock. Um, the school is is pretty well integrated. I'd almost say half and half at this point. However, I'm no authority since I no longer have a child in that school. There was never a problem when my daughter attended grade school there that I thought was attributed to race. My husband and I became very involved with the um, school, the school board, the parish functions, and whatever. Nothing ever happened that I'm aware of. You know what I can't get a sense of, and maybe you don't want to, and you don't have to, but I can't get a sense of uh, who your friends were, because it wasn't people that went to Sumner, and it wasn't people that went to Well, yes, yeah, some did go to Sumner, and they? but they were children of my mother's friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I don't want to say it was a class thing, but okay. maybe it was, yeah. and I just was not aware of it. Mm -hmm. But parents did tend, I guess, to pick and choose their children's friends then. We weren't forced to play with anyone, but it was announced we're going to so-and-so's house next Sunday afternoon, and we said goody, and we went. Mm -hmm. um, 
none of my mother's friends lived close. So it was a big deal to go to someone's house. It wasn't like you could walk a block away and you were at so-and-so's house. Although she did have one friend that she had known from grade school that lived a block away. And her daughter and I did become friends. But most everybody else was just kind of spotted all over the city. And we saw each other periodically. And they had their own particular friends at their school or in their neighborhood. It's not, I mean... It's important since I'm interviewing you, but I, I can't get a sense of, I just can't get a sense of who you were with, you know, you go, but as you got older and you had real, real friends, you know, did you? High school, maybe? Yes, did you? Well, in high school I went to Rosati, and Rosati drew girls from all over the city. Some of them were people that I had known when I was a small child. Many of my friends were a year or two older than myself, so they were a year ahead of me in school. Uh, we saw each other, we talked, uh, but I made new friends in high school. I am very good friends still with a girl that I met in high school. We graduated in 1961. She's white. We've been friends all this time. We talk once a week, sometimes more on the phone. And boys? Very few. Rosati's an all-girls school, mm -hmm. and you just didn't see them unless there was a school dance. Um, I went a couple of times to some of the boys' school dances. Not a lot. My parents wouldn't have permitted it anyhow, but no, I went sometimes. But then again, you were introduced to people who were friends of your family. Mm -hmm. Did you go to football games? My father wouldn't allow it, no. Because? Just because. He didn't believe in it. Okay, Gabrielle. I think I'm, I'm sure it won't be the last <laughs> you're, time. You're tired of this, aren't you? No. No, I'm not tired of it. But I, I feel like um, I've asked. I was just... You know, if I say to you, I want to know about your life in the black community, you would say that I, what would you say? I don't know what to answer because I don't know what you're looking for. Our, our family, we went to church, so you were united with whoever you went to at church for that reason. We had friends of the family, that was it. As far as, if you're talking... There weren't things in the community, I guess, then, that I'm aware of that were important. I guess I'm trying to ask if, if your friends at church, were they also Caucasians? Did you go to... In grade school, no. Well, really, in high school, no, because I always went to church with my grandmother. Most of the time, my mother went also, but... And the reason why I went to cathedral school was because our parish did not have a grade school. It had been closed. So your life was really... Was split. Was split? Mm-hmm. It was split school with, with uh, more Caucasians. Mm -hmm. and, and Neighborhood. Neighborhood. 
mixed a little in this? No, not, not mixed a little. It was all black. Okay, the white fly that you mm -hmm. did. And, and so then you, your, your life was really in the black community. Yeah. I'd stop and think about it, yeah. Why do you have to stop and think about it? I guess because I never really paid attention to who was around me, whether or not they were one group or another. I mean, if I stop and think about it now, well, yes, so-and-so was white, so-and-so wasn't, but I don't classify people that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Anymore? Yeah. Just as a matter of mm -hmm. fact, you know. If you were to ask me about certain of my friends, which one of your friends likes to do this or likes to go here? Well, that's so-and-so then. Are they black or white? Oh, yeah. Well, she's she's black or she's white. But for me to automatically offer that, I've never done that. Anything you want to ask me? No. Is it possible we're done? <laughs> <laughs> You've made me think about a lot of things, and I, the last time we spoke, I wondered why I didn't know the answers to some things, and I just don't know. Well, and I don't know, I, I will just, I've said this a couple of times, I won't say it anymore, but this time I hope that I haven't pressured or pushed or anything no. like that. I, I think that um, I have come through asking these questions in this manner because of your grandfather mm -hmm. and because of his life and because of your grandmother. And I think that since you are like the 29th or person that I've interviewed, and you are, you lived so differently in, in that respect, and it came as a child. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're, you're not knowing or knowing as a child in this kind of thing, or what you imagined would happen if you asked. I'm trying to delve through all that. You're really yeah. surprised by this, aren't you? Um, well, um, I think my... I'm not as surprised as I am interested mm -hmm. in trying to understand what was going through your mind. Because that's what this is all about with me, is feelings. Mm -hmm. Not the fact that you went or didn't go, but how did you feel when it was happening? Because mm -hmm. we read in the paper um, that this event took place, and I know that these things took place, but mine is more what was going through your mind mm -hmm. when it took place. So I, I think that's why, if I keep urging in a certain direction, that's what it is. So, no, I, I see a visual picture of a little girl sitting at a counter with her mm -hmm. grandmother, you know. Just swinging my legs. Yeah. Just totally happy. Totally happy. I was not afraid to be there. I had no reason to be afraid. But some of the anger and some of the pain and some of the that I've heard from other people mm -hmm. and wasn't there. Wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've 
I know what their feelings are, mm -hmm. and I was just trying to get a sense of what yours was. So that's why. And well, I, if when I, I first spoke with you, and I told you to listen to my grandfather's tape, I I knew it would lead to something because, mm -hmm. well, it was just there. Right. You knew it was there. Mm -hmm. But I had to figure it out. You knew that? Mm-hmm. Did you wonder if I would or not? Yeah, I, I just wonder what somebody else would pick up from this. Uh, my sister says that uh, she'd like to hear that tape, but she doesn't know if she's ready yet. Yeah, well, that's, I can understand that. But um, I, I wonder how this interview would have gone had I not listened to that tape. Yeah, I bet it would, would have been different. It would have been entirely mm -hmm. different. I would not have. Some parts of it would have been the same. Well, eventually, maybe. And yeah. then when you started talking, well, what does your family look like? And I showed you pictures. Then you'd say, well, oh, okay, now, now, I, now I see what she means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have heard your grandfather say that he couldn't do that. I wouldn't have, mm -hmm. you know, it was, anyway, I thank you for the, um, time and thank you for the dolls and I know we'll see each other and I hope so. Oh I'll be around. I'm, I'm I have a feeling we'll talk again. <laughs> to some, some awfully difficult and complex. This is the end of the interview with Gabrielle Wilson um, on August uh, 17, 1994. Whatever else is on this tape, if someone is transcribing it, do not uh, transcribe anymore. This is the end. The creation of concepts of time, the ways in which language permits us or does not permit us to, serve, to think in certain ways, and ultimately the reliance upon science as the ultimate kind of manifestation of progress. We tend to see all those things as different things, but they're all the same thing. And how is it that we, who are inheritors of these traditions, can step back and step outside of it and be objective analyzers and critiquers of it when our language doesn't even permit us to think in some of those ways? And at what point do we get to where Mary Oliver, as a poet, gets when she says, um, if I eat a trout, I am a trout, in the sense that life and the world is a series of transformations, uh, that it is not, uh, that humans are not a part, and it's what you were referring to about seeing ourselves as somehow the other, and then even breaking that down further into groups of us who see ourselves uh, as the center. It's, it's the DAR syndrome and everything else is the other. Concepts of self and non-self. Um, where in some people's thinking and in some societies, uh, concepts of self are very much subjugated to concepts of non-self, where instead of seeing yourself individualistically, which as you all know, Alexis de Tocqueville commented on, I mean, it struck him as another Westerner, that if there was anything that characterized Americans, 
It was their incredible sense of individualism, sense of I. Now how you get to the point where you don't say I with a capital letter anymore, and where you begin to see, you, you begin to conceive of yourself as simply a part of something, something else. And that something else may be a group of people who agreed upon certain rules of living together, or in fact, as thinkers like, um, is it Luther Calvin and poets like Mary Oliver, who argue that um, we must, for our own survival, begin to see ourselves as somehow linked with all kinds of things that history doesn't permit us to link ourselves with. I mean, so in some ways, as I was saying earlier, history itself is a manifestation of the way Westerners have viewed the world. And, and it is part of the obstacle. The linking is interesting because I've been thinking about Deborah's piece in the show, which is so interwoven between her ass and the garden. And we were talking about photographs and looking at the, as in your, your handouts, and look at what's around the person in the photograph as opposed to just the person in the photograph. And this, I saw this as your aunt's. Um, they're, they're creating that um, as, a, as two people was creating this garden and how important that is in terms of knowing enough about them to put them in the context of their history. And how do we find out those things if we don't know the person personally? And maybe, maybe Mary can comment more on this in terms of, or even Bernice in terms of the, the Captivity narratives. How do you get to that other level that are the clues that are going to give you the personality of these people? Is it possible? I think it's possible, but I don't think you can just get it out of that without me. For example, I remember looking at pictures at one time and not seeing anything near what I saw at another time. After I talked to more people about photographic conventions and read a little bit more about it and looked at more photographs. I don't think you can immediately do that. I think it's a building process. Kind of work at that a little bit. Maybe the oral histories can are part of that building. Oh, it they certainly can be. Uh, a lot of times when we did oral histories, they were spun off of a photograph. Something was going on here. We didn't know exactly what it was. We had some idea, but but we didn't want to say that that's what it was until if, if we could find out. And lots of times, uh, you know, I remember showing Ivory Perry a photograph that, uh, and it spun off a story that I would never have ever thought to ask him about because I didn't know what that was going triggers. I think photographs and oral histories are natural. Uh, you know, I've, I've used it in that way many, many times. Yes?
you know, who's going to take the throne next and all of that sort of thing. But in so many cultures, uh, Polynesian and uh, uh, the, the, the culture that Alex Haley encountered, there's an oral history that goes back to the mist of time. And the, there are certain people who are repositories of that. How, how do, what is their notion of that history? Is that, is that a work of art? They don't use it as a tool. Okay, I can't speak definitively on that because most of my work is in the United States. You know, my work is in rural Southern Illinois. So I know sort of out of the corner of my ear and stuff. But my, my sense is that in most societies where genealogy is important and groups within the society that genealogy is important, it tends to be as charters to rule. That is, among the lower classes, among the commoners, there's not much genealogy done. You know who your grandparents are. You know, you know enough to keep your kin networks that you have to keep going in order to make sure your kids are fed, your house is built, and you can swap work. You, so you may know the grandparent or your great-grandparent generation. But it's a pretty practical, pragmatic sort of of kinship that you keep in mind. The people who, it, it's where you have kingships and royalty and royal lineages that those genealogies are very important. And so you find in Polynesia and in West Africa and maybe other parts of Africa. People who are keepers of those lineages with incredible fidelity. I mean, sometimes manipulated. I mean, the Old Testament is, is sort of one where you have these begats, and probably there are political manipulations so that at some point one lineage sort of moves over into the honored place. But those were strategically done at the time when it was necessary to do that in order to sanction kingship so that this sort of interloper lineage came in and was able to justify itself. Those are very, very political, and they are charters of rulership. I think that the interesting thing that's happening in genealogy here, in this country, is that it's, it's taking a very different form. I mean, the DAR concept of lineage was in that tradition. It was a charter for rulership. But, both African-American and Anglo-Euro-American genealogists now are doing something very different. And I must say, I'm very, I'm very interested. I mean, I sort of have a feel for the African-American genealogy because there's the whole bringing to light a repressed and silenced tradition that authorizes legitimacy in the present. And that's a tremendous discovery and empowerment. You know, I mean, I see this happening in the reunions and you know the construction of a people through through the, the genealogy. I don't understand as clearly the. I mean, I do sort of intuitively, but I can't intellectualize it. The passion for genealogy that so many whites. I see it all the time. I work with it. I get touched myself. You know, every once in a while, I guess it gets tweaked a little bit in me. 
Um, and it's something different, and I'm not sure, aside from puzzle solving, I mean, there's whole sort of puzzle solving, it's a good leisure time activity, but there's something else going on, and I don't know, maybe you all can help me figure that out. Why, what is this passion for genealogy that, that so many white people have? It just, I mean, I'm, doesn't seem to authorize an identity in the same way that it, author, it tends to authorize identities in other contexts. I have experienced uh, a couple of them that touch upon the issue of both the, the important genealogy and the enrollment of time with uh, Native American people. And one of my informants who died uh, last year was almost 100 when she died. It's on a reservation on Long Island. She knew, she knew her mother who almost looked to be grandmother who also almost would be a hundred. And the woman, she knew her grandmother, so she had about 350 years of information in her head. And so um, she told me, um, I asked her about an event, that, an event that really did happen, Thomas Jefferson's visit to this reservation, Puspita, uh, uh, in June of 1791, um, which, in which he collected some vocabulary terms, which are in the American Antiquarian Society Library now. And she very matter-of-factly said, yeah, he was here. <laughs> <laughs> what struck me about that, and one thing she said was that, um, she, the way she said it, it was as though it, it had just happened that afternoon. So in that sense, the native time, the sense is totally different or irrelevant to the way Westerners look at it. And the, the importance for her and for the other people was not that he had come here, that was no big deal. There were all kinds of founding fathers running around Long Island trying to get away from the British, you know, during the war. The importance was that she said <coughs> that the reason he had come there was not to collect the vocabulary, but because his grandmother was an Uncachuk, it was a Pusachuk. And then she said he went around thinking from wigwam to wigwam, knocking on the doors or flaps, birch bark flaps, trying to find a family names, family lineages, um, This is not acceptable in the history books for the local genealogy for uh, colonial Long Islanders who are actually New Englanders. And I don't know, another, another situation I heard of, I heard from another informant who said, the same person in fact, she said, you know, Washington came here too. I said, oh, okay, to myself, naturally. And then I went to the Navy Reservation by 10 miles away in Southampton. And I heard the same tale, and that it was pointed out to me, both in some photographs and by a living descendant at that time of a person who is supposed to be uh, one of George Washington's probably a great, great, great granddaughters. And this person now is an attorney who chooses to live on the reservation because she does a lot of work. She's also a city councilman for Southampton. First one they had, first one they ever had on city council. I know, I, I know her personally. I've seen her mother's picture, and I've seen pictures of the grandfather and the great grandfather, who was one of the last full bloods. And uh, I looked at the picture after I heard the Washington story, and I said, "There is a heck of a big similarity, you know, between George Washington and this great great grandfather of hers. This would have been one of Washington's children." So all touches on the ideas of the importance of genealogy or the relevance of it, the idea of time or the relevance of that. It's a whole different universe for people who are not in the Western <coughs> And we 
we don't have to go to Pago Pago or to Central America. It's, it's right here. And right here. it's so matter of fact for them, then, then how, do they, how do they use these long oral histories and memories? I mean, how do they? What is the, what is the what importance is of it? What is the importance of it to them? The importance of it, whether it's Washington or Jefferson, is that there that, that those persons, like everybody else, is in the lineage that part of the branch. And Washington and Jefferson are no more important than anybody else that came along. The importance is making the connections, being being in the continuum. And whether it's a full blood or quarter blood or one sixty blood, that is totally irrelevant. Totally irrelevant.